Welcome back to another episode of Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history and fantastic stories of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. This week, I've decided to do something a little different with the podcast. Some of you know that in real life, I'm a teacher and a basketball coach, so that's the reason sometimes for the inconsistent podcast episodes, uh, where a bunch come out and then there'll be a long string where I'm kind of occupied with my day job, uh, that they don't happen. Uh, But I've decided to put together uh, for an episode this week um, some stories that that weren't big enough to, to, to maybe be episodes on their own. I'll talk a little bit about where I've been sharing those uh, in one of the breaks, but I kind of paired them together. Uh, A few episodes, these all have to do with the early 1940s. Uh, A couple of them actually go on in North Platte, Uh, so they kind of go together. But I I thought I'd tell those stories as a way to get some more content into the podcast feed. So without further ado, here we go. This first one is about the polio season of 1942. One thing that I've often considered adding to just every podcast episode is some kind of recurring feature, and in my mind, I always call it, Hey, That Reminds Me. (laughs) Okay, that's not a great title, Uh, but it is a real thing that happens to me. Uh, When I hear a current Nebraska prep sports story, often it'll remind me of something in my research, and that happened this fall as we started what was surely a strange high school football season as we dealt with the virus here in 2020. Um, As the Omaha public schools were announcing that they would not be playing this fall, uh, it threw other school schedules into disarray. And that wasn't the last domino. Early in the season, Grand Island had to suspend the start of practice for a couple weeks and cancel their opener with Kearney and their grand reopening of their refurbished historic Memorial Stadium because a uh, coach had tested positive. And that got me thinking uh, about the season of 1942. Uh, And then, you know, as that Omaha news was breaking uh, and people were kind of hoping that OPS would just delay the start of their season, uh, Stu Pospisil in the World Herald mentioned the Omaha Omaha polio outbreak of 1937, which delayed the start of the season uh, that year until October. Uh, And then we got further into the year. I remember Broken Bow had to suspend practices for a day as it contact traced a teacher who tested positive. Uh, And then we had uh, several other schools that that had to cancel games or reschedule games. And really, just a smattering of them. Really, we did pretty well, uh, I hope. Um, I hope what we did was the right thing. But that got me thinking more and more about 1942, uh, when there was not only that polio outbreak in North Platte, out west, uh, in several communities, but kind of centered in North Platte. Uh, But the first weekend of that season was disrupted by just a gully washer of a storm. And, oh yeah, there was a world war going on that was occupying everybody's attention. The polio outbreak uh, in 1942 had really transformed life in Lincoln County, where North Platte is, that summer. Uh, My favorite college English professor, Daryl Lloyd, 
grew up in North Platte at the time, and when I would take a class with him, uh, he would always find a time, especially if we were doing a lot of writing, to read us a short story he had written about uh, when the swimming pools and movie theaters were closed in North Platte and how the parents were scared to let their children have any contact with other kids. Um, Lloyd himself was sent into the Sandhills to stay at his grandparents until the emergency ebbed and the schools were allowed to open in October. Uh, Lloyd, by the way, would go on to be an All-State basketball player for the Platters in 1950 and star later at Kearney State. The shuttering of the North Platte schools uh, in September uh, delayed North Platte football practice from starting. Coach Ivan Wilson told the newspapers that practice would start a week late on September 7, but the emergency order was still in place and practice was delayed a couple more times. Eventually, the Platters had to cancel their first two games against Oshkosh and Kozad. I, at least I think that second one was Kozad at the time. The papers said that game was against Curtis. Then later, another paper said it was against Cambridge. But the North Platte yearbook says it was Kozad that was canceled, and North Platte did play the Aggies and the Trojans later in the year, but not the Haymakers. So I believe the yearbook version. The polio outbreak hit several western communities, but it was centered in North Platte. The last count I found was 31 cases and 9 deaths, 7 of those deaths in North Platte, and all were young people. On September 13, North Platte City officials were hoping to declare the emergency over, but another case was diagnosed on September 18, and the school remained closed. Finally, as October started, the emergency order was dropped and the school doors and practice fields were opened. Instead of starting the year with non-conference uh, Oshkosh, the Platters would open it against Kearney, who had already played two games. The Bulldogs were flat and were held to a 0-0 tie. Or maybe Kearney was just really good at playing ties that year. They would also deadlock with Hastings and Columbus before the year ended, ending the season with three ties on their record. That The North Platte tie was a big story because it meant someone other than the Bulldogs would be on top of the Southwest Conference standings, and that was rare. The Platters had only lost three games in the last 11 years of Southwestern Conference competition at that point. North Platte won the Southwest in 1931, 32, 34, 35, 36, 38, 40, and 41. Those three losses they had were to the other teams that were Southwest Conference champions, Gothenburg in 33, Curtis in 37, and McCook in 39. Would the polio outbreak bring down the kings of the Southwest Conference football? Meanwhile, there were other scheduled disruptions in the state. The mid-September opening weekend saw a border-to-border -border storm system that washed out several games the biggest of which was the, the matchup of the last two Missouri Valley Conference champions, Lincoln High and Sioux City Central from Iowa. That game was lost in the storm. The Iowans wanted to reschedule it on Saturday or Monday, but the Lynx were traveling to Ohio the next week to take on football powerhouse Massillon, so they passed on rescheduling the game. The Tigers of Massillon were seven-time defending Ohio State champs, had recently sent their coach, Paul Brown, to Ohio State. He'd eventually leave the Buckeyes for the Cleveland Pro franchise, which is named after him, and had a 45-game unbeaten string rolling when the Lynx got to town. Lincoln High would travel by train, a common option in-state as well because of the wartime tire rationing, 
and play in front of 12 to 15,000 fans, hoping to recreate their 1920s era trip to Toledo, where they upset powerful weight high. The Lynx still have a game football from that game uh, in their trophy case I always like to look at when I get to Lincoln High. Uh, the Lynx started the game hot, scoring on a 30-yard pass on the first drive, but after that it was all Tigers and Massillian won 40-6. to There are no trips uh, like that that went on in Nebraska this fall, though South Sioux City will open the season at Sioux City North. <laughs> That's out of state. After that is uh, the... Uh, Cardinals were able to finish their quarantine uh, following a positive team member's test. But back out west in 1942, North Platte wasn't the only team to change schedules due to the polio scare. McCook and Curtis had their Southwest Conference game in September postponed, and it wasn't played until November. McCook was the team that took advantage of the North Platte tie to Kearney, taking the early conference lead. The Bison, though, had issues of their own. When they were atop the Southwest Conference uh, in October, their head coach suddenly announced that he was leaving school to take over a farm operation. Such staffing changes and occupational changes uh, were common in wartime. The Clark's Blue Bombers lost one coach before the season when he joined the Army and another to enlistment during the campaign. McCook was still unbeaten when the coach left, and so was their opponent that week, North Platte. The Bulldogs had handled Gothenburg and Lexington and were 2-0-1 in the conference and in total. North Platte gained, regained control of the league with a 10-0 win and McCook's new coach started 0-1. North Platte might have been a state title contender that year. Uh, they were unbeaten and in the top 10. The next week, though, Grand Island came to town. But it was 1942, so nothing was easy. The Islanders almost didn't get on the train to North Platte. A conductor stood in their way and said the train was full. First-year coach Jerry Lee had to do some fast talking to even get the purple and gold aboard and heading west. Lee, who took over a team that had been winless in 1941, would be a legend by the end of the decade, leading the teams of Bobby Reynolds uh, to two state titles in 47 and 48. The style of play of Lee's 1942-11 was described by a Lincoln Journal Star columnist as hurdle the wounded and step on the dead. I don't know what that means, but it worked well enough in North Platte to take a 12-0 lead. That ended the Platter state title hopes, but it didn't hurt them in the Southwest race. Uh, they beat Curtis and Cambridge to finish 5-0-1 in the league. Kearney was 3-0-1, but the league either was going by percentage or maybe Kearney didn't have enough conference games to qualify and North Platte was awarded their ninth Southwestern Conference Championship in a dozen years. By the way, those games against Curtis and Cambridge were played in North Platte. In fact, they were the fifth and sixth straight home games North Platte had played. I don't know if that was a quirk of wartime or somehow connected to the polio scare or just the way things were. The Kearney game was the only road game North Platte played. Uh, that wouldn't change on Thanksgiving when Crete would ride the train west. The Platters traditionally hosted a Thanksgiving foe in that era, usually a strong team from the east. The year before, it had been Omaha North traveling to the land of Buffalo Bill. In 1942, it was the Mideast Conference runners-up Crete. North Platte, behind speedy back Jack McCartney, he was a 10.100 meter guy, oh, excuse me, 100-yard guy, 
would outlast Crete 12-7 with a big goal line stand in the third quarter being the difference. It couldn't get the Bulldogs back in the state title picture, though. They had lost uh, to their best Eastern opponent, Grand Island. The Islanders, independent in that era, had an October tie with Columbus and a 7-6 loss to Kearney, blotting their record, even before losing their finale to Lincoln High. Lincoln Northeast, uh, in only their second year open, uh, was the Mideast champ, but they had also lost to Lincoln High. The Lynx only had the Ohio loss, but the canceled game with Sioux City Central <clears throat> and a tie to Omaha South meant they wouldn't occupy their usual spot atop the Missouri Valley League, as they had uh, in nine of the previous 12 years, dominating that conference much like North, North Platte had the uh, Southwest. The Missouri Valley Trophy went to Omaha South. The Packers also got a share of the state title, according to Greg McBride and the newspapers, sharing it with Lincoln High. We can uh, only hope as we head into the winter season of 2020 uh, that there will be less last-minute scheduling changes than there were in 1942 and even this fall. Uh, but that will play itself out. I guess we'll find out. These stories that you're going to hear today uh, were first uh, debuted, I guess you would say, on our new Suiting Up Varsity Patreon account. Uh, Patreon is a place uh, where people who create content, <laughs> like me, uh, can get some support um, in their project. Uh, I've been running the Patreon account from last summer. We have several different levels. You can find it either at patreon.com slash suitinguparsity, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N, uh, or you can go to our suitingupvarsity.org page, and there's a link to our Patreon there. Well, we have several different levels of support uh, that people offer us for as little as a, a dollar a month, and then we try to provide a little extra content there, sometimes extra pictures, uh, that we don't post on our uh, public Twitter feed, or stories like this. Um, sometimes it's just insights to what research I'm working on at the time. Uh, we share some of our background data that we have, some of our uh, uh, databases, like our database of all the school nicknames we know of all the high schools in Nebraska history. Um, we also share our conference timelines, uh, which are color-coded by school and kind of show which schools were in what conferences at what times. So we try to share some things, especially with our patrons, uh, because we know they're interested, and they also want to support our project as we work to uh, produce more podcasts and keep the Twitter stream going uh, and hopefully eventually uh, put together a Nebraska High School Sports History book uh, that's updated uh, with the last 40 years of history since the great Jerry Mathers last published his book. If you're interested, uh, check us out at patreon.com slash suitinguparsity or like I said, straight to the suitinguparsity.org webpage. All right, our second story today also comes out of North Platte uh, in 1942. This would actually have been the uh, winter before that football season. Um, and it's about basketball districts. Now, in the last couple years, we've seen the NSAA change their district basketball format, and so we know that state basketball qualification can and has changed throughout history. Uh, over the years, there really have been a lot of different systems, but I'm not sure I've ever seen another one like they ran in North Platte in 1942. 
I found this when I was digging around another North Platte basketball question. Uh, I found an article that said that the North Platte district would be double elimination. What? I thought double elimination. So I kept digging. Now, it wasn't exactly double elimination for all, but a couple teams got second chances, and it was built into the tournament bracket. It was a six-team district. It was Class A district uh, involving McCook, Alliance, North Platte, Kearney, Scotts Bluff, and Curtis. The Ag School was still in Class A and would be for another 10, 14 years probably. Uh, that district in North Platte in 1942 was probably smaller than usual because 1942, with World War uh, II going on, um, was the first year of the four-class system. In fact, it's kind of the first year that we had a state tournament that would look a lot like the ones, uh, those of us who can remember the 70s, the four-class system looked like. Um, so there were several teams that usually competed in Class A, like Lexington, who were in Class B in 1942. Now, as modern fans, we would expect if you've got a six-team district, you're going to give the top two seeds buys, and the other four teams would play first-round eliminations. But that's not how they set this up at all, and that wasn't unusual for this era. Often when I look at these old districts, the top teams play in the opening round, and lesser, seeded lower or not seeded teams get buys. Now, I've always wondered if the thinking was that it was somehow an advantage to play a game on the district court. You know, basketball courts were not nearly as standardized. If the idea was the top team had earned the chance uh, to play one of the lowest-seeded teams early and kind of get used to the gym. Uh, I don't know. I just know a lot of times when I see teams seeded, they are not the teams that get the buys. Uh, but things were unusual even beyond that in North Platte in 1942. The top team in the district that year was Alliance. The Bulldogs came south unbeaten in ring districts and obviously got the top seed. The first games were set for Wednesday, March 4th. And the matchups were McCook versus Alliance and Kearney versus North Platte. I'm pretty sure North Platte was the other seeded team. That meant Curtis and Scotts Bluff would get buys and wait for the second round. But they wouldn't wait for the winners. They were set to play the losers of the first round games. And the winners would skip a round and wait for the next winners. Uh, I have a, a picture of the bracket uh, on... Uh, on the Patreon page, and I, I will try to move that onto our suiting up uh, varsity.org webpage so you can see how it would look. Uh, but the strange format seemed more important after the first round games. Uh, North Platte beat Kearney as expected, but undefeated Alliance went down to McCook 25 to 23. It was almost like the people who had designed the bracket uh, knew that might happen. So the weird second chance seemed ready to save the Bulldog season, despite experiencing their first loss. Alliance would live to play the next day. The district was still scheduled for three days, despite the format that now required four rounds. So day two would feature two games from the, for the early winners. Uh, Alliance got back on the winning track, defeating Scott's Bluff 23-20, uh, Carney, though, was not able to take advantage of their second chance, losing their uh, losing for the second straight day, this time to Curtis, 29-20. to um, That evening, both of the winners would then have to play again in what would truly become the semifinals. 
Uh, the word weird format had kept top seeded Alliance's season alive, uh, but that first loss meant that the semifinal would now match the top two seeds, Alliance and North Platte, whereas if Alliance had won that first game, they would have stayed on the other side of the bracket. And, and that was big because in Class A in that era, it was very common to instead of having eight districts to send eight people to state, they would have four districts and the top two teams. So really, the semifinal game was the game where you would need to win to get to state. And then both they would play the final, but both of those teams would be assured of a spot at the state tournament. And a lot of times you were just playing to be considered one of the top seeds at the state tournament. Uh, that semifinal is where Alliance's luck really ran out. North Platte hit a last-second shot to win 31-29, to and Alliance's season was over. McCook, who had started all the trouble in the, with the first-round upset of the Bulldogs, beat Curtis in the other semi, and that meant North Platte and the Bison would head to state. North Platte took the district title the next day with a 49-27 to win over McCook. Before we move on to our third and final story today, I wanted to, uh, of course, make a pitch for the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, they haven't been able to be open much throughout this, but eventually uh, they're going to be back in business and, and opened up. You know, they usually like to be open Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays from 10 to 4. We'll see what the schedule looks like. Um, but I know I'm looking forward to getting down there and seeing uh, what the guys have been working on uh, during that time. Uh, I'm also hoping, uh, speaking of our Patreon account, uh, that one of the kind of special perks uh, we'll do for the patrons is have a little get together. Uh, God, it'd be great if it was during state basketball. I don't know if I don't know if the states can be ready for that yet. But eventually, uh, a little get together where uh, some of us who really enjoy Nebraska high school history can get together at the Hall of Fame and, and talk and tell stories, and, and look at some of the great exhibits there. So that might be another reason you might be interested in checking out patreon.com slash suitingupvarsity or our suitingupvarsity.org webpage. All right, let's try that third story. This one we finally get out of North Platte, but we're still in the same era. We're actually moving now a basketball season earlier. One basketball season earlier, we're heading to uh, 1941. Uh, one of the most controversial district basketball games that I've ever run across in Nebraska history played out over two nights in the West Point Auditorium in 1941. It started when Winnebago, who'd been the Class B runners-up the year before 1940, lost to Omaha Holy Name in a Thursday semifinal in the 41 Class B West Point District. The Ramblers had made a late comeback. Holy Name had been trailing 20-18 with about one minute left when Paul Watson hit a tying field goal. The Winnebago Indians then started to move the ball up the court for a final shot, but were interrupted by a whistle as a Holy Name player called for timeout. Uh, only players would have been uh, allowed to signal for timeouts in that era, not coaches. The referees awarded Holy Name the timeout, and the Winnebago bench immediately protested. By rule, a timeout can't be called when the other team legally possesses the ball. In fact, by rule, a technical foul should have been called on the defense. The refs didn't see it that way. The game continued through the final 45 seconds with no scoring. Then the first overtime saw one holy name basket, again by Watson, uh, and an answer uh, by a field goal by Winnebago's Gene St. Sur. Winnebago had a couple of talented St. Sur boys in that era. 
So the game's tied 22-22 and goes into a second overtime. By 1941, uh, the rule was that overtime would be sudden death. Uh, kind of reminds me of youth tournaments, I guess, or sometimes when we play summer league basketball, the overtime is sudden death. But this was a high school basketball game, uh, uh, a district semifinal that was going to be decided by sudden death. There was a holy name Rambler bucket uh, that seemed then to propel them into the district final with Scribner. But the West Point superintendent, A.A. Williams, was already reaching out to Nebraska High School Athletic Association's longtime headman, O.L. Webb. Webb quickly ruled over the phone that the Winnebago protest by Coach G.W. Luttrell was both properly made and justified. Webb ruled the game must be replayed from the time of the protest, so that would back it up to 45 seconds remaining in regulation uh, with the score tied 2020, and that Winnebago be awarded one free throw for a technical foul for that, for that timeout that Holy Name had called while on defense. Williams, who remember was the West Point superintendent and he's running the tournament, announced that the game would be completed the next day, Friday, before the regularly scheduled consolation and championship games. The teams returned to the court at 7.15 the next night, and Winnebago's Levi Clay stepped to the line and hit the free throw. The papers of the day described the rest of the 45 seconds as a mad scramble by both teams to gain possession of the ball, so I'm not really sure if Winnebago got to take it out after that under 41 rules or, or what went on, uh, but whatever, uh, Winnebago had now escaped with a 21-20 win instead of the 24-22 double overtime loss uh, that it seemed like the day before. Holy name, Gamely stepped right back on the court then and defeated Dodge for third place 28-13. Following that, Winnebago handled Scribner 22-12 and was headed back to Lincoln. The Indians would beat Overton and Beaver Crossing before falling to Harvard in the Class B semifinal at the state tournament. Holy Name would grouse a bit in the Omaha World Herald, saying they had been beaten by telephone rather than beaten in a basketball game. Uh, Scribner Superintendent Ross Bonham, who had been in attendance at the tournament, would counter. And this is a quote. Superintendent Williams conducted a fine tournament. Webb was 100% correct in his ruling. Coach Luttrell showed exceptionally fine judgment in quietly protesting the decision. In fact, he was as cool as his boys. Unquote. I just thank goodness that we didn't have to live through that controversy on Twitter. Well, that's it for another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. Until next time, remember, you can follow us on Twitter, where our handle is, at SuitUpVarsity. You can check, up our, check out our website, where we keep uh, a lot of our data, like our new list of uh, gyms and fields, which are named in honor of great coaches and great athletes and other people, people that communities want to remember, at SuitingUpVarsity.org. Or, like I've been talking about through this episode, you can help support our project at patreon.com slash suitingupvarsity. When you get to any of those places, feel free to ask us questions about Nebraska high school sports, leave suggestions for uh, future episodes, uh, tell us which of the uh, early 1940s stories you think was the weirdest. Uh, really, a lot of times questions from people interested in Nebraska sports 
sports history uh, lead me to new research projects, you know. Uh, the answers usually lead to more questions, uh, and that's what I really like. We hope to hear from you soon. Also, if you like this podcast, take time to rate us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever else you find your podcast. It, it helps others find our show. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, episode 38, I Written and produced by me, Greg Mays. Technical and research assistance by my brothers, Tate Mays and Trent Mays. Helpful audio advice and encouragement from Chris Shukai. And as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2020.